Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 90 of Thrive Deeper. It's your old mate, DJ Payne here. And on this episode of Thrive Deeper, I sit down with Matthew Jacoby, like usual, and we go through the book of Exodus chapters 7 all the way to chapter 12. That is the story of Moses, Pharaoh, the 10 plagues, and how God takes his people out of Egypt from the Egyptians. It's amazing. This is a story that is a cornerstone to our understanding everything that comes out in the book. Plus, there's so much going on behind the scenes here at uh, Thrive Deeper headquarters. I want to share a little bit of that with you as well. So I'll be back halfway through this episode. And then again at the end, I hope you enjoy this episode of Thrive Deeper. I'm going to ask a weird question for you. How are you feeling about 2020 this year that we're in? Uh, I well, I I, I feel uh, I feel great about it because I'm for me. There's a lot to look forward to, I and mean, I love the things that I do. I love uh, the teaching roles that I have. I'm teaching philosophy in first semester. I really love teaching philosophy. Um, it's it's a subject that just continues to fascinate me. Um, and I love the way that it uh, really opens the hood on um, on what we think and how we think. I love the responses of students to that. Um, in our uh, parallel podcast, uh, yes. Thrive Perspectives, I'm actually one of the things I'm looking forward to is actually bringing bits and pieces of that in uh, occasionally and and discussing some issues because I think a lot of um, a lot of anti-Christian um, kind of missiles that come into our ideas and uh, are the problems with those with that sort of scepticism about our faith and about the Bible often is at a kind of philosophical methodological level. Yeah, and it's what a lot of people sort of don't recognise. And so I, um, you know, that really is where the battle is fought. It's fought at the level of presuppositions and worldview and you know, theories of knowledge and, and questions of how do we how do we know or how would we know if there is, you know, they're all philosophical questions. It's why I love that subject. So yeah. I'm, I'm um, excited about exploring some of that in Thrive Perspectives. It doesn't mean it's going to be a philosophy thing. Well. I wanna, you know, I want to, I, I, like I actually am looking forward to, uh, I mean, and that is one of the things I'm looking forward to actually, yeah. talk about 2020. Uh, is having a chance to look at some subjects. I mean, I'd, like I'd love to talk, have an episode where we actually talk a re- the, around the real nitty-gritty of prayer. Yeah. Let's talk about prayer. What how, do, how do you, you know, what does yeah. that look like? And yes. how do you, you know, and, you know, looking forward to getting some guests in as well. Uh, so so that, you know, that's I think one great initiative for 2020. You know, we talked about that last year and it's great to have Thrive Perspectives uh, up and going. And, and look, my heart is... In as much as I do a lot of things, my heart is in the church. The church for me is where yeah. is where it's at, and seeing 
God working and through his church and being a part of equipping the church for me is my greatest passion. That's, yeah, we, so we, looking forward to that. We've got a big year ahead of us, uh, yeah. you, you in particular, and, and uh, you know, on, on, a, on a good day it feels like uh, we're marching along in step you know, doing some very yeah. uh, interesting stuff together. On a bad day, it feels like I'm riding your coattails sometimes, <laughs> or or uh, you're wandering off somewhere. I'm like, where are we going? But uh, yeah. but it's I'm really I'm really excited about this year, 2020. I, I'm I I really do think, and, I, and I've been and I've been meditating a lot. You know, we talked about it back in Matthew. You brought it up again on the last episode about the concept of polarization. Mm. And I get I, we we might be getting into a little bit of thrive uh, perspectives here, mm. but. I see that so much in the world and the culture around me more and more and more and more Mm. and I see it in my own heart and my own life and my own responses to things Mm. and what God is drawing out of me. This, this, that, that concept of polarization is, is something huge. So, well, it's, it's an interesting one in the light of the fact that a very popular stream, even uh, in sort of popular spirituality is something called non-duality. Uh, and it's it's really having a lot of uptake even within Christian the, the work of um, uh, Richard Raw for example I don't know if yeah. you've heard yeah. uh, is yeah. is really uh, a strong advocate uh, of what is essentially sort of an Eastern mystic idea but I mean and and there's some sense of that you know bringing all things into one everything is one God is in everything there is a sense of legitimacy in that from that that you know God wants to bring all things together. But, but there's some problems with that because what we see happening throughout Scripture right up to the book of Revelation is um, God polarising polarizing things. So polarisation actually is an inevitable um, facet of this age in which we live. Okay. So, look, this is exactly why we're doing the Perspectives yeah, podcast. Okay. We got, we got to put <laughs> because, a... because we keep having to, yes. uh, we keep get, getting these rabbit trails and we want a, a mechanism to yeah. be able to discuss some of this stuff. So that, you know, that, for example is something that I think would be worth discussing uh, in the future. Sounds good. Okay, make sure you're listening and subscribing over to Thrive Perspectives. Who knew we were going to throw to a uh, corny <laughs> commercial this early in uh, Thrive Deeper? But you are subscribed to Thrive Deeper. Thank you so much to everybody who uh, lets us know that they've been downloading, listening and enjoying it all. We love hearing your feedback. We are in the book of Exodus. Mm. We are at the beginning of the book of Ex- Exodus. We're in Chapter 7. Mm. We've been introduced to Moses. We've been introduced to Aaron. And we know that the Israelites, the Hebrew people, are working as indentured slaves, like servitude, as a separate class of people in the land of Egypt. And the big bad is Pharaoh. Pharaoh is representing all sorts of evil mm. uh, over over there. And God has commanded Moses, uh, with the help of his brother Aaron, to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. He's warned them it's mm. not going to go well. It's going to take a while, and that's what exactly what we see in chapter seven. But Matthew, a question after after last episode, I couldn't help but thinking of the covenant with mm-hmm. Abraham and the covenant that had been echoed, uh, you know, from Abraham to Jacob and, mm-hmm. and to Joseph and, and so on. That God has said, if you you know if you bless the people who bless you will be blessed. Yeah. And the those pe- who curse you, I will curse. Yeah, and I, I, I think we are going Good to pick up. we are going to see yeah. that in yeah. red flashing letters over the life of this Pharaoh. That's right. Yeah, Genesis twelve three, uh, part of that Abrahamic covenant, in those crucial verses that I think everyone should memorize. Yeah. Genesis twelve, verses two and three. Um, 
Part of that is that it says those who curse you I will curse. Now we're going to see curses upon Egypt because oh. Pharaoh has in godlike fashion, I mean this, is a, this guy is claiming to be divine. Yeah. Uh, that's a crucial aspect of being Pharaoh. But not also, not, not, there's, there's, I mean think, I've been thinking about his wickedness, his evilness, yeah. his just flat out, you know, utter corruption of all things good, even in the natural order of the things. I mean Pharaoh is totally justified and righteous in his own thinking, thinking that I can put to death all of these children, throw yeah. them in the River Nile, yeah. and I am and I am right. Yeah. And that is, I mean, we yeah. it's it, again, it's not explicitly stated, but we see a theme, and we've seen a little bit before, but we'll see it a lot more I- in the Old Testament, that soon as people start killing children in the name of, Mm. Being right. Uh, yeah, that's a point. Yep. That is point. whoa. Yeah, that's right. We're gonna see the same thing with Herod as well. Yeah. I and mean, there's so many connections here where Herod is gonna kill the children of Bethlehem. Um and and Herod is this power hungry kind of guy as well. Yeah. You know, and that's it's like it really gets bad when you're having to kill children. Uh and and we do see that with Pharaoh. So yeah, Pharaoh is this evil guy. He he stands as the ultimate sort of anti-god in that he's um he is claiming this divine power. He's enslaved God's people. Well, that clearly activates those who curse you all. Curse. Yeah. Um, and and what we're going to see is the ultimate demonstration of God's power mm-hmm. over the claims of Pharaoh um, as well as uh, over Egypt and the gods of Egypt. Now, this is interesting as we come to the to the Here ten plagues. Yeah. Um, it's... It says later on, in fact, it says in chapter 12 and it says in Numbers um, that God executes judgment here not only against Egypt but against the gods of Egypt. Yes. So at some level these plagues, are, there's an element of spiritual warfare here. Uh, there's an element of declaring something against those gods. So, so the actual nature of the plagues, and as we go through it, I'll make this explicit, the actual nature of each of these plagues is in most cases specifically designed to say, to declare something, to make a mockery of one of the Egyptian gods. Yeah. It's interesting the way that... Now, look, I think there's something even bigger than that yes. uh, going on. I think that's part of it. This is, you know, these are all the things, um, you know, these are in some ways all the worst things that the Egyptians really knew of. It's like what could be the worst thing that could happen? Yep. You know, it's like in Australia, you know, like fires or, yes. you know, fires and floods and mm. it's the classic things for them. You know, locusts were, were, were an absolute scourge here and, you know, what are the things that they're fearing the most? What are the things that um, kind of indicate to them that all hell is broken loose and yep. that chaos is ensuing and that Pharaoh isn't doesn't have control? Well, these plagues indicate that. Well, we're about to go through the 10 plagues and we'll go through them, but I just wanted to really just, you know, list them right at the beginning so everybody knows where we're heading. We're going to the very first one is the plague of blood. Then we've got the frogs. We've got the lice or the gnats, depending on, you know, what you believe there. Then the flies. We have the plague of the livestock death, uh, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then the final one, the death of the firstborn. Mm. I mean, this is... The most... It's a barrage. It's a barrage, but it's also a beginning of a way of thinking about almost apocalyptic, mm. 
you know, a, 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 you know, type of type of worldview. Like, if if people think of the Book of Revelation or think of the end of the world, they usually end up listing these ten plagues. Yeah, that's right. So the story actually is intended as a prefigurement of God's judgment. Mm. So uh, it's it clearly uh, is used that way in the Book of Revelation. So I think we can take this. So you know, God isn't just um, doing. It's it's not just about the outcome. It's about what God is saying for ages to come. You know, something is being prefigured. God's declaring his power over the gods of the greatest empire of the time. Yeah. Uh, and But he's also prefiguring ultimate judgment in here. Yep. Now, there's, I don't know if you've, if you've heard this, but and this has received some popular media, but there is one approach to these plagues that has that sees them all as a kind of natural unfolding of natural events. Have you yeah. come across oh, that? Of course, yeah. of course. So, you know, so the, the Nile turning to blood is that's the, uh, you know, the, the Nile flooding and all of the red soil going into the Nile and it looks like, uh, you know, red blood. And then, you know, that, um, that kind of all the fl- frogs then leave, uh, leave the river and they all die and then yeah. the, you get the flies and then you get uh, the, the disease from the flies and the maggots and yes. so forth and so forth, right? Yes. So... Um, and, you know, listeners might have seen documentaries to that effect. I mean, I saw a documentary that also talked about, you know, at the same time a volcano erupting somewhere and that brought, you know, darkness. And Like, you know, I mean, maybe there is some natural flow-on effect, but actually the point of this is that God is directly involved in this. Mm. And, and the problem with the natural explanation thing, I mean, why we need an explanation? Because the point of this is that God is wielding supernatural power here over over Israel. It doesn't mean that we resist that something happening happening naturally, uh, that there's a problem with that because the point here is that it's happening at Moses' bidding. Yeah. And as we'll see at, at one point in this, it happens to the Egyptians but doesn't happen in the land of Goshen yes. to the Israelites. Yep. So it happens everywhere but somehow they're sheltered. for. So it doesn't, the natural consequences doesn't account for the fact that they get left out of it. But I also I hate explanations like that. It really gets my goat because it's this horrible elitism that you think that you are infinitely smarter than these rubes back in the yeah. day. Like these yeah. dumb Egyptians yeah. who could hap- who just happen to be able to build astronomical things that we cannot yeah. build today. Yeah, that's they right. were so stupid that they couldn't figure out that red water wasn't blood. You know, like <laughs> come on people, they knew what it was. And I think I think uh, you know, even Moses takes the time in the passage or the writer takes the time in the passage to let us know that um you know, the Nile became blood. They had to dig wells near the Nile to get fresh water. So it wasn't like yeah. some infected water. It was a miracle that this was happening in yeah. the water. And the Egyptian evil sorcerers, yet again like we Mm. saw with Aaron's staff and the serpent, the evil sorcerers were able to replicate turning Mm. water into blood. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I mean I think uh, that approach in a way um, there's a strong presupposition under that approach and that presupposition that there is no God that intervenes in in, in history, the supernatural. So, yeah. so you know, so naturally they go looking for a natural explanation uh, yeah. for this. You know, the other annoying thing that we'll encounter as we move on, and I hope we have a chance to talk about this, is the fact that there are people that deny that any of these events happen, including the Exodus, because um, they haven't found anything yet to indicate that. That's called archaeological minimalism. 
It's like it didn't happen unless we can find something that says that it did. Yeah. Now that's problem. That's a problem when you're talking about people who are nomads living in a desert where you've got shifting sands in an area of the world that's really under-excavated. I mean, if you know anything about archaeology in in that part of the world, it's it's just skimming the surface at the moment. So, um, you know, so we've got to be careful of that kind of scepticism because it's it's like uh, the text is guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. And I just have a problem with that approach because... We, we begin with the belief that God is involved in history. So when it says that God does something, why would we uh, – we have no reason, mm. I put it that way intentionally, we have no reason uh, to doubt that. Now, again, I, I don't discount that there may be natural elements uh, to this, um, uh, natural consequence that this happened and that this naturally led to that. Like okay. Maybe there is that. But yes. the point is, is that it happens at Moses' bidding – that there's a clear sense that God is, yes. it's more than natural. Yep. The, cl- the cl- clear idea here is that God is exercising sovereignty over nature. Okay, so the, for the first one, the the, the, the 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 plague of the blood, we have the pattern here that Aaron's staff is raised. Again, we've got this Aaron's staff being played out here. The, 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 all of the Egyptians' water is turned to blood. It began to stink. You couldn't even imagine mm. the smell there, but but after they uh, after the Egyptians used the same magic and were able to do similar things, and they were able to dig sort of drinking water wells, <clears throat> you see Pharaoh returned to the palace and put the whole thing out of his mind. Yeah, it's interesting with the staff because uh, it it seems like they're both doing this yes. now, like. Because remember, God had said to Moses in at the end of chapter four, "Take your staff, because by with this staff you're going to perform yep. signs and wonders." Um, and it says here uh, in verse, um, uh, take uh, verse fifteen, go to Pharaoh, you know, confront him on the bank of the Nile. Take in your hand the staff that was changed into it. Well, that's Aaron's staff. Yeah. But um, uh, then say to him. Uh, you know, with this stuff. So, so I think, um, uh, I think that they're both doing things here. Oh, and, and it's going like, to get. And it's going to Aaron's get... stuff and Moses' stuff. I think yeah. throughout this. Um, and it's going to get more confusing. I, yeah. I found reading through it again that all of a sudden it's like, well, Moses is speaking and Aaron isn't speaking. So yeah. I think we see. I, I think we see a general progression of Moses becoming the leader yeah. that he's meant to be, yeah. Aaron taking the place by his side and maybe even retreating a little bit in the background there. Yeah. But uh, it's it's very much two brothers standing yeah, alongside. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's it's also interesting to remember that Moses is 80 and Aaron is 83, that these yeah. two 80-year-old, you know, Israeli yeah, guys. these two are old from, guys. So the plague of blood, this is uh, important because, again, it's an interesting beginning because the Nile is really the main life artery of Egypt, okay? So uh, the Nile, in fact, was um, um, kind of personified as a god, the god Happy, um, often interestingly portrayed as a bearded man with female breasts and a probably a pregnant stomach. Yes. So, you know, Happy was, uh, or, or Huffy or however, Happy. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, pronounce that, was basically the god of the annual flooding of the Nile. Now, this is important because this is actually um, the flood deposited this rich uh, silt, fertile soil on the riverbanks allowing the Egyptians' crops to grow. So they were actually dependent 
on the annual flooding of the Nile or dependent on the Nile. If you even look at a map of Egypt, yes. you'll see desert and then you'll see this long green line and the green line is right alongside the Nile. Right. Uh, so the Nile really was the main artery. Uh, but here, you know, it's like this God that sustains the life of Egypt bleeds. God has made this God bleed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's the the the, um, the symbolism here is is rich mm-hmm. uh, because it's striking at immediately at this life sustaining God uh, of Egypt. So um, uh, you know it's very poignant first uh, first plague. Now, of course, um, you know the magi- magicians do something similar uh, by their uh, magic arts. But Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He doesn't listen. So then we get the plague of frogs. The next one. Now this is interesting. Uh, the Egyptians regarded the frog as a symbol of divine power and fertility. Yep. Um, Hecate, very important god. It's one of the main goddesses of Egypt. Hecate, H-E-K, H-E-T. And that's the woman with the head of a frog. The woman with the head of a frog, yeah. yeah. Uh, she is the spouse of what well, will, uh, according to... Um, ancient Egyptian religion. She's the spouse of the Egyptian creator god, uh, Knum. Uh, now, in their mythology, we see this creator god fashioning human bodies on his potter's wheel and then um, Hecate breathes life into them. You think about wow. God breathing wow. life. So there's a kind of a copying uh, thing going on there. And she's also actually, interestingly, the god of the midwife. She's seen as the sort of divine midwife. She also assists... In, in birth and we've met the midwives as well. Yeah, yeah. Now um, she's also responsible for, uh, because the frog is, a, as I said, a symbol of fertility, but Hecate is also seen as being responsible because frogs, the multiplication of frogs, yeah. uh, she's also seen as curbing this as well. Okay. Um, and this just goes wild. It, yeah. Chaos, frogs covering everywhere. So this is like Hecate... Uh, is defeated. Yeah. Yes. You know, no the control. main goddess of Egypt has lost the plot. Yeah. In a sense, it's so the frog has become a curse to Egypt. Yep. Rather than a rather than a blessing. Yep. Uh, yep. so you know Hecate in a sense is turned against the people by the sovereignty of God. Once again we see the evil uh you know the Egyptian uh sorcerers and wizards being able to do the same sort of thing these yep. magicians bring forth frogs out of different things but we now get this very. We get the first time where Pharaoh is ca- is calling again. This, the pattern yeah. is there. Aaron is raising his staff yeah. to bring force. You know the frogs are causing yeah. all these things. But then Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and beg with them, plead with the Lord to take these frogs yeah. away from me and my people. I will let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord. Yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, yeah, it's um. It doesn't work out. No. <laughs> <laughs> to cut a long story short, he's not really, no. you know, it's all. And, and again, we see God hardens his heart and in the wheeling and dealing here, he doesn't come to the party and he just says, well, that's yep. it. No, no way. Get get lost. Yeah. And Mo- and Moses is very clear about what he's, what he's going to do. I'm going to pray at this time. You said the time. Exactly. You know, do all this very clear stuff. They do it. And then the stench goes up from the dead frogs and, and Moses goes, and sorry, Pharaoh says, ah, relief has come. My heart is back to being stubborn. Not going to happen, boys. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so the next plague that comes, well, the next two are gnats and flies. I mean, this is 
interesting. We're actually not quite sure what the word kinem, which is the word gnats. Mm. Look, probably gnats also, I mean, there's been suggestions that it means maybe uh, vermin or um, like fleas, you know, okay. um, lice maybe yes. or even maggots. Uh, interestingly, Egyptian priests would shave their bodies completely so that they wouldn't get lice. Wow. Because if they had lice, they were seen as ceremonially unclean. unclean. And uh, and one wonders whether this is uh, answering, because remember they've th- these magicians and they would have been kind of priests, have been unable to do these things, uh, sorry, have been able to copy these signs. And now in a sense he's disempowering them. That, that, look, that's a possibility here. Yeah. But again, it depends. Again, we're not totally sure what that word means. Uh, mosquitoes is another, uh, you know, is it is like could another, be another thing? Yeah, could be another thing. So again, that same picture. Aaron, Aaron is striking the ground. The dust of Egypt becomes gnats. Yeah. Uh, and this is the first time where the magicians come back to Pharaoh. Yeah, they couldn't do it. They say we cannot. This is beyond us. Yeah. This is beyond yeah. us. And there, you can sort of hear. In their, uh, you know, in their in their thing here in verse nineteen of uh, of of chapter eight, there the magicians are like, "This is the finger of God." Yeah, they're they're panicking. They they acknowledge this now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. and 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 they're going to be a contrast to Pharaoh because Pharaoh is going to take longer. Yeah. Uh, to give way, so he, his very priests have said, "Yes, this is God. You got to give up here." And and again, it, we have in that same verse. Again, just getting the getting that picture. We want to keep in our mind about this uh, this this concept here of, of Pharaoh's heart. It says here, Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He wouldn't mm. listen to them, just as yep. the Lord had predicted. Yeah, that's right. So it's 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 a it's Pharaoh doing it here. Yeah. at this early stage of yeah. things. The next one flies, as you mentioned yeah. here. So um, again, the what this what is actually being talked about is not completely clear. But a fly of some sort, yep. definitely. Uh, I mean, that's fairly universally uh, accepted. Uh, they may have had some kind of bite because it talks about them devouring Egypt uh, late in later um, in later texts. Mm. Um, it's also unsure what this is uh, referring to. One possibility is um, the um, one of the gods of Egypt, um, uh, Kepra, is symbolised by a flying beetle. Wow, uh, he's the sort of self-generated god of the of resurrection. Yes. So that you know, some have suggested that maybe that's what's being talked about here. But the point is here, you know, flies, you know, come from maggots. This is like death. Uh, you know, I think there's something here, like Egypt is dying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is where you get this statement also at this stage, where in verse twenty-two, we're in eight twenty-two. Uh, God says, but on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people will live. No swarms of flies will be there uh, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land and I will make distinction between my people and your people. Yeah. So you get this separation. At this point uh, you get this separation. Yeah. Now uh, it seems like from that, it seems like that the Israelites had been affected uh, uh, previously by some of what had happened. Yes. But here the point is made they're not going to be affected in the least by this. So it's like the land of Egypt is dying yep. and the flies uh, are there, you know, the maggots and the flies are there. Um, but in the land of Goshen there's something, there's something different. 
So polarisation effect. Exactly. And, and distinguishing and, between those who are my people and not. And again, the same thing. And it's funny, the negotiation power here between Pharaoh and Moses is, uh, you know, Pharaoh pleads with Moses and Aaron to come back, says, listen, go pray for us. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Yeah. You can do these sacrifices to your God, yeah. but just do it here in Egypt. Yeah. Don't go to this place you want to talk about. Moses holds fast and says, no, that yeah. will not do. And so he says, I will pray tomorrow. This will all be sorted out. And the same thing happens. Yeah. Pharaoh again became stubborn and yeah. refused to let the people go. Yeah. So, um, you know, at first he seems like he's relenting, but once it all goes, you know, this is this principle of, um, I mean, isn't this true to life where you get this phenomena of, you know, in troubled times, people call out to God. But as soon as the trouble's over, we're back to living yep. as though we're God again. <laughs> I mean, that, that is the, you know, this is a this Sad is indication true. of, you know, of the human situation. Like occasionally we're reminded we're not in control, we're not God. And in those times we cry out to God. But when things get back to normal and things seem in control, we go back to this illusion that we uh, can exercise this God-like control over our lives. Yep. And so we effectively turn away from God again. And you get this same thing happening here with Pharaoh. Um, so then, then you know, another plague comes. This is the plague on the livestock. Now, this is poignant. This is this is chapter nine. We're at chapter nine. And yeah. This is plague number five. If we're this doing is the, plague number five, then yeah. we're doing the we're doing the ten plagues um, here. But the cults of associated with the bull are absolutely flourished in Egypt. This is a big one. In yeah. fact, the golden calf that they're going to make when mm-hmm. they go to the foot of Mount Sinai is uh, something derived probably from Egypt and associated probably with the cult of uh, Apis, um, which was, you know, Apis was the most important of the sacred bull, sacred bulls. You know, so this, the, the, the bull is an import, is a important um, symbol mm-hmm. uh, of, well, actually of a number of gods uh, in Egypt. Um, the bulls were seen as embodiments of, you know, the gods uh, Tar and, and Ray, um, Numerous female deities in Egypt are depicted as livestock. Isis, well, uh, yes. the, the queen of the gods, bore cow's horns. If you look up Isis, yes. um, you'll, you'll see a picture of an Egyptian god with cow, cow's horns. So this, again, an, yet another god is uh, is being shown to be uh, defeated yep. by, uh, by Yahweh in this. Distinction again between the Israelites. Their livestock and the, are fine. Fine. Yep. Their horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, goats, yep. everything fine. Pharaoh investigates, sees that they've been struck down. The Jewish people haven't. Goes back and says, no. Nah, That's I'm not right. Yet his heart was go. unyielding, it says down there in chapter 9, verse 7. Yep. And he would not let the people go. So you get the plague of boils. Now this is where this is where things I think that we we I think things really take a turn up here. In the last five, I think it's been. I think you know, so. Yeah, I think we get things turning up. I mean, it says here that the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, "Take handfuls of soot from a furnace." Now this is probably a brick furnace. Yep. So this is where they've been making these bricks. These furnaces actually represent the slavery of the people wow. in Egypt. Yep. So go to those furnaces that represent the slavery of my people, and. In a sense, that kind of represents the curse on on the people of Israel. Take some of the ashes from these furnaces, and uh, and toss it in the air in the presence of Pharaoh, representing our slavery. So this is this defiant. This is the soot of our slavery. Toss it in the air, and it becomes boils on your body. Wow! And so again, the priests are unable uh, to stand. 
even before yeah. Moses because of the boils. Again, this is uh, their humiliation. Certainly they weren't, wouldn't have been able to operate as priests uh, anymore with these boils. Uh, yeah, this is really upping the ante. And, and this is why I say it ups the ante because in, in verse 12... Right, we get this horrible picture of all of the Egyptians, including the you know the the pharaoh, all the way through to the magicians, having these boils broken out on their bodies. Verse twelve, this is where it changes that conversation yeah. about what's happening in Pharaoh's heart. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's heart. heart. Now, up until then, it's been Pharaoh being stubborn, yeah. Pharaoh deciding. But here, we get this picture of what we've, we were talking about before. Now, now this is like God has yeah, given Pharaoh's it over to him. Hard. Yeah, yeah. But the Lord had hardened for he hardened his heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. That's um, uh, it. Simply says up to that point, Pharaoh's heart became hard. So going back to what we were talking about, God hardening Pharaoh's heart is compounding what's already happened. Yeah. So up to this, you know, chapter seven, verse twenty-two, Pharaoh's heart became hard. Then uh, chapter eight, verse fifteen, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yeah. I mean, um, when Pharaoh saw that there was, re- he hardened his heart. Yep. And that is repeated uh, up until uh, here when you've got but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yeah, you've got the second so half. So, you know, to those who do not have even uh, even what they have will be taken away from. So yeah. whatever willingness may have been there, God even takes that away. Exactly, um, exactly. All right, we're halfway through the plagues. We've got to, we've got to take a break. Yep. Let's have a break here on Thrive Deeper. Can it get worse? It's going to get a lot worse. Sure does. And it's going to get a lot better as well. All right, <laughs> it's right. going to get a lot better. You're going to be uh, listening here. You're in Chapter 9 of the Book of Exodus here with us on Thrive Deeper. DJ here, and I wanted to just say a massive thank you to everyone that's reached out and has let us know how much they're enjoying the newly revamped Thrive Deeper and our brand new podcast, Thrive Perspectives. If you search in Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or any of your podcast engines out there, you will find both Thrive Perspectives and Thrive Deeper. But the easiest place to go and find out all the information is thrivetoday.tv. That's right. We've got a new domain name, a new home on the internet, thrivetoday.tv. Now, something I want to share with you about a reason why we've uh, got the .tv there is we have just released, we've been working on it for a long time. We've just released our first video series of teaching from Matthew Jacoby. If you've read his book, Deeper Places, he's got a new edition of the book, Deeper Places, out now and a video series that we have filmed and put out there where you and your small group or your own personal study can go through the book of Psalms and what the Psalms means to the Christian walk. It is fantastic. And I'm not saying that just because I shot it and edited it all myself, but I'm saying it's great. Because of the content, you know, it's really, really great stuff. If you've got a small group, a Bible study, a life group or something like that, this is a great tool to use in that setting. Something else I wanted to share with you really briefly as I got this little special time with you in the middle of the episode is we have also 
just released today as this episode goes out. Uh, someone that works very closely with us at Thrive with the music part of what we do, Anna Waters. Anna Waters, you might have seen her singing background vocals for Sons of Cora. She's a recording artist in her own right and she's just released her first single. It's called Sunshine and I want you to head over to AnnaWaters.com. And you can see and hear the brand new song. You can see the video clip we shot for it. Once again, you know, edited it and did it all. But anyway, we shot it all there. I want you to go over and have a look at that. I'm incredibly proud of it. And I know you're going to love it as well. AnnaWaters.com.au. There we go. We've given you two websites to visit. ThriveToday.tv and AnnaWaters.com.au. We are working on so much here behind the scenes. It's going to be an exciting year. But enough from us. Let's get back into the 10 plagues of Egypt. I don't know why we would ever want to go back there, but let's go back. Let's go back right now in this episode of Thrive Deep. It's Thrive Deeper, DJ Payne here with my good amigo uh, travelling through the book of Exodus, Matthew Jacoby. We are in Chapter 9. We're up to the sixth plague mm. in the in the uh, the story of Exodus. Now, I just wanted to take a moment before we begin into it because we didn't sort of say it at the beginning. In these books of the beginning, numbers make a, you know, m- yeah. mean something. Ah, yeah. We're yeah. reading about... Ten plays. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, ten's a pretty yeah. important number. Uh, good, good pickup. So um, it echoes the number of times in Genesis that God says, and God's well, well that it says there, and God said, yes, and there, and it was so. Yeah. So, uh, so you get this echoing of that. We're also going to get the ten commandments exactly uh, as well. So, um, so the number ten uh, has this kind of, you know. God decreeing thing. So God is decreeing here uh, these plagues uh, upon Egypt. And it's happening because God's decreeing it. Yes. And the gods of Egypt can do nothing uh, to stand against this. So we're up to now, uh, I'm just losing count. The plague of boils is which, what number? We're up to plague number six, I think. Uh, Or plague number seven is the plague of hail. Okay. So the plague of boils, as you said, uh, we get halfway and then with number six you get a change in the pattern. Now I think that's important because we're we're halfway up to this point. It talks about Pharaoh hardening his heart. But then with plague six, after the halfway point, it talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Yeah. So this is God's response to Pharaoh hardening his heart. Idea here is that if there's something bad, God makes it even worse to bring it right to the surface. Mm. It's the polarization effect, and we've referred to Matthew 13. Yes, uh, which which speaks to that exactly. So we're up to plague number seven, the plague of hail. Yeah. Now, again, this is things are really talk about polarization. Yeah. Things really really heating up. We get a picture here that the the very officials and the top people working alongside Pharaoh are freaking out over this. They are scared of Moses and Aaron. So when Moses and Aaron come and says there's going to be a hailstorm more devastating than any in all of the history, quick, they give him a chance. Order your livestock and servants to come into the field and find shelter. Any person or animal left outside will die when the hail hits. 
some of Pharaoh's officials were afraid and they ran and did exactly what they did. Yeah. But others who was stubborn like Pharaoh didn't take any any heed to it. Yeah, and the fact that it's – and it is up in the ante, um, you know, it says here that God says um, – you know, I'm going to do this so that in this is in verse 14, yeah. so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Mm. For now, I. Uh, you know, so, um, and the up in the ante here is that this is not now just uh, causing animals to spread, or, or this is now God is taking control of the heavens. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's one thing, the earthly gods is one thing, but now. Now he's taking control of the heavenly gods. Was there an Egyptian god that uh, that that you know? Yeah. So, basically, well, th- there are a number actually yes. here. So the hail was a kind of mockery of the heavenly de- deities. Now there's, there's a couple here. Uh, Nut, which is the female representation of the sky, the vault of heaven, that was yes. personified as a god. There's Shu, the supporter of the heavens, who holds up the sky, and Tefnut, the goddess of moisture, goddess of the rain. Yes. Now these are exalted gods because they're gods of, in a sense, the the, the upper level. We're, we're, we're kind of moving up uh, here in, in the hierarchy, and so this is really upping the ante. And here also, you get God saying, uh, because we've uh, we've just it's just been said that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yeah, and then there's an explanation of why in um, chapter nine, verse sixteen says, but I have raised you up for this very purpose so that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and not let them go. Okay. So in the sovereignty of God, um, you know, God is saying, I'm going to be glorified through you and I've purposed to be glorified through you. It's like whether, uh, whether for, you know, whether you choose good or evil, I'm going to be glorified yes. in whether it's through yep. judgment or whatever. Yep. I'm going to be shown to be God in yeah. the end. Yeah. Uh, and it's almost mirrored in the response of the people. Whether you pull your livestock and your servants in and you're safe, yeah. God's been proven right. <laughs> Leave them outside, God's proven right. Doesn't yeah, matter. That's right. We also get yeah. a di- we also get a slightly um, you know, different way of doing it. This time God speaks to Moses and says, Moses, all right, you will will do you know you will lift your hands to the sky you will be the one yeah. controlling this yeah and and Moses is using his staff at this point yeah okay yep that's right yeah this is where we get a slightly again it feels like we're heating up something's yeah. changing here and it all begins to happen again there was no hail in the region of Goshen there's this horrific thunder and hail coming down killing everybody Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses you you feel like it's all happening as like right then there's yeah, no waiting right. of days or anything like this and Pharaoh's response is is absolutely priceless. This time, this time, yeah. I have sinned. The yeah. Lord is the righteous yeah. one. All right, you win. My people and I are wrong. Please beg the Lord to end this terrifying yeah. thunder and hail. We've had enough. I'll let you go. You don't need to stay any longer. We get a bit more. We get a bit more conversation. Again, the same thing happened. Yeah. Moses prays, leaves, yeah. stops it immediately, and yeah. and Pharaoh says, "Yeah, too bad." So. There's a very important point there yep. uh, in, in, in these cases is that these plagues stop because Moses and Aaron pray. Yeah. And this is indicative of this mediatorial role, again, that they have. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that these, it's like judgment comes, but there is this mediatorial role that God's people have in a way to stand in between 
judgment to mediate and to stop the judgment, you know. And so that that kind of priestly role is being exemplified here um, when these guys are praying. Yeah. So I think just hold on to that because that's a very important oh. aspect of their calling. You know, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. That's Genesis 12. So um, that's part of that covenant in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. Yeah. And the idea here, I will make your name great, is not about fame. It's about their role because that great name or that great role is defined by the second line, yeah. the parallel line, and you will be a blessing. In other words, I'm going to set you up in this role so that you can mediate blessing to people. So where yes. there is curse, you can take away curse yes. and bring blessing. That's, you know, that's what was given to the Levites, the priestly class, but as a symbol of what is going to be given to all God's people. This is the essence of, minister, of, of our mediatorial yeah. sort of ministry, yep. really. I think that's that's a really rich point. It is, it is not a to rich miss that. We also the, the interesting point in this exchange with the hail, the thunder and hail, um, and what a, and again I can't help but imagine it like a cinematic <clears> scene. What an it, an you know a crazy cinematic thing like this hail and thunder devastating the countryside and 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 Pharaoh saying whatever he can, but Moses it, Moses it seems to even be a bit more aware about what's going on because he says I will do this and it'll stop. Because he wants you, he he says, yeah. God wants you to know who he is. You know, yeah. for, for his, you know, for his namesake. But I know that you really don't fear yeah. the Lord yet. And he does it, and it goes exactly. And it says, you know, Pharaoh's heart became even hardened yeah. again, heavier again, and he would not let the people go as the Lord had predicted. You know, so yeah. we've we've just got there. So we move into uh, number eight, the Plague locusts. Of locusts. Uh, this is one of the most feared. Um, plagues. I mean, this is a nasty, nasty problem for Egypt. Uh, locusts so thick it darkens the skies and they just consume everything. Um, locusts throughout Scripture actually become, and we're going to see in Joel's prophecy, for example, um, and, and other parts of Scripture, they become uh, a real symbol of God's judgment because they just come and they lay waste everything, they eat up everything and leave the land completely stripped. So this is this is really um, a uh, an attack on really all of the gods in a way of Egypt together, but uh, it's very much an attack on Pharaoh himself, his ability to protect the land um, and uh, to be the one who stays off chaos. Yeah, because chaos in the form of these locusts just absolutely envelops yeah. the land. I, I, I love the beginning of chapter 10. We're in chapter 10 here for the plague mm-hmm. of the locusts. And, and the Lord says to Moses, I've also done this so you can tell your children yeah. and your grandchildren and how I yeah. made a mockery of the Egyptians yeah. and the signs I displayed among you so you know that I am the Lord. You know, he knows who, who he is. Yeah. And we get we get this longer conversation here. We get a little bit more of an insight about what's happening inside the house of Pharaoh because Pharaoh's officials are coming to Moses, coming to Pharaoh yeah. saying, these guys are holding us hostage. Egypt is in ruins. Let the people go. Yep. And so they have a, a yet another back and forth, Moses yep. and Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, listen, you can do it, but don't take children, you know, yep. don't take – and it goes on and on. Moses says no. Pharaoh says, that's it. No, no, you know, you know, yep. uh, all peace offerings are off the table. No more discussion. Moses says, no worries. Moses lifts, Moses lifts yep. his staff. Mm. In come the locusts. Yep. And that is devastating. Yeah. 
and Pharaoh, uh, you know, Pharaoh says yet again, I've sinned against the Lord, you know, forgive me. Yes. And significantly when he says that, now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord, they do that. Yeah. I mean, this, I, look, I think this is significant because even at this point, it's not like uh, Pharaoh's condemned here. There, there, there's, as, notice that as soon as he even indicates some level of repentance. Yes. He, Moses is told, pray for him. Yep. You know, uh, he prays to the Lord and God answers his prayer. So um, that pattern of, you know, you you repent, you get the blessing. Yeah. But as what we see here is that uh, he, he's actually not really, the, the repentance is not really there. So, uh, you know, God hardens the already hardness of heart and yet again, we get this next plague, and the plague of darkness is an plague important number one. nine. Plague number nine in this ten twenty one. That this is an important one because the chief deity mm. talk about things ramping up. The chief deity of Egypt was Amon Ra, Ra, the sun god. Now they depicted this god, and and if you look up Ra, Egypt, Egyptian god Ra, you'll see a picture of a god in a boat with the head of a hawk, uh, standing in a boat. And a big disc above his head. Yes. And the disc is the sun. This is the sun god. The sun was seen to be a god, the source of light, and therefore the source of life. This yeah. is why he's the greatest god. Now, when the sun rose in the east, they saw that as like a symbol of new life, resurrection, right? Um, it, it, a new day has come to bring us life again. Yeah. But when the sun went down, it, it was like sin is going down into the underworld. Is the sun going to come up again? Is Ra going to be favourable to us again? Is he going to appear and give us life again? This is the cycle uh, of the days. And Ra was pictured in his boat sa- um, sailing over the water waters above the sky. That's how in the ancient um, Near Eastern cosmology they uh, talked about the waters above the sky. Um, Genesis 1 alludes to the waters above the sky. Yes. Again, in Genesis 1 it's not advocating that. Cosmology, it's just using the language of appearance. Yeah. It's like there was no other way of referring to the atmosphere, the outer atmosphere, yeah. other than the, the water. The firmament. Yeah, the yeah. firmament. So, yeah. So, you know, in Genesis 1, it's about God creating the atmosphere. Anyway, point is, they believe that there were waters above the sky and the, and the sun was this god Ra who sailed in his boat over those waters. And, yeah. And so, he's the chief god because he's the source of life, right? But here, a god brings this plague of darkness. So oh. Ra, it, this is massive. Ra mm. is defeated. Mm. Mm. The very thing that they feared that Ra has gone into the underworld and this is in the middle of the day, darkness covers the earth. Yeah, This is Ra, the greatest god uh, of Egypt yeah. has, uh, has been defeated here. The, the, and, we, and we get, again, the way the process is, you know, God speaks to Moses. Moses lifts his hands to the sky Darkness over the land of Egypt, uh, normal light in the in the yeah. land of Goshen. Yeah, um, and that's interesting. Talk yeah. about polarization effect. <laughs> that's thick <laughs> darkness in one land, light in the other. Exactly. So this is the symbolism here wraps up. Yeah, it ramps up because yeah. uh, these people are in the light because of God's blessing, but these people have rejected God's word. Yeah, and so they're in darkness. Oh. So finally, Moses, Moses, and and Pharaoh face one another. Pharaoh says, "Go, go, worship. Yeah. You can take your little ones. I don't care. Go." And then Moses pushes back from the very mm. beginning. He's, he's this is what they've asked for. We must take our livestock too. Yeah. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart once more, 
and he would not let them go. Get out of here, Pharaoh shouted to Moses. I'm warning you, never come back to see me again. The day you see my face, you will die. And we're left in chapter two. What a dramatic moment. Very well, Moses replied, I will never see your face again. I know. It's just. (laughs) And out he goes. And then we're left with number 10. Yeah, see, Moses really pushes it there. Like, oh, "Oh, yeah, yeah, go. No, well, we're taking our livestock too. I mean, it's just, it's like pushing on the sore spot of of Pharaoh's wounded pride right now. And he just won't give in. His pride just won't give in because God has, you know, in a sense, compounded his pride. It's there. It's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to compound this. And uh, then we get this plague in the force. Uh, on the firstborn. Now, this this one is a direct strike at Pharaoh himself. Yes, because the succession of the pharaohs is is now destroyed. So I'm actually going to destroy the pharaonic succession here. I'm going to strike your firstborn. You can't even protect your own child, the future of your dynasty. Yeah. I mean, uh, so you get this. Uh, acceleration here right to the end yeah and um it's also uh in a sense an eye for an eye because there's a symbolism here because israel the people of israel are referred to as the firstborn son yes of god and there's also the pattern of the you know pharaoh had tossed the children the boys into the yeah that's Nile. right yeah the firstborn there's, there's a payback yep. there's a payback for that uh you know and again as pharaoh sits in egypt he is a god himself yeah and boom this that's is right it. so all of the boys have been cast into the you know so it is it's it's an answer to that um, it's also an answer to the fact that, you know, Israel is God's firstborn son. That's not, by the way, a sexist thing. It's because of the status yes. in, in that part of the world of of the firstborn son inheriting yeah. something. So the, yeah. the symbolism there is that these people are my firstborn son in that they are inheriting my promises. Uh, yeah. So in as much as Pharaoh um, cursed the firstborn yeah. uh, son of God, it's all coming back. God curses the firstborn son of Pharaoh. And, and in, in chapter and eleven, Egypt. We, in chapter eleven, we see you know we really zoom in now, and we see and law and the Lord says to Moses, "I'm going to strike Pharaoh and the land of Egypt once more, and after that, he's not only going to let you go; they're going to chase you out. You know, they're yeah. going to they're going to want you to go. Plus, you tell every Israelite to ask their neighbors for silver and gold, and we get this look behind. We almost get like a newspaper article look behind the scenes yeah. politically. Yeah. What's going on? The people of Egypt were with Moses and Aaron and the Israelites. Yeah. They were like, "God is obviously on their side, not ours." Yeah. Pharaoh, what are you doing? You're killing us. So when it came time for Moses to say mm. what he had to say, when it came t- time for neighbors to knock on the door and ask for treasure, yeah. silver and gold. The Egyptians were yeah, all about giving yeah, it to right. them. Because they're recognising this people. Uh, yeah. yeah, There's almost like we're supplicating this people uh, because there's something going on here and they're free from these plagues. Uh, but it's not because these people are inherently better. And this is where the Passover symbolism comes in. Yes. So in, at the climax of the judgments, this judgment comes upon the firstborn and God uh, institutes the Passover. So we sacrifice, God says to his Israelites, sacrifice a lamb, place the blood over the, over the doorway. Yeah. I mean, so it, you know, sim- the symbolism here uh, is that um, the judgment passes over. In, in, interestingly, the Hebrew, the Hebrew word there is stronger than just pass over. It, it's, it, it 
has something, uh, contains something more like positive deliverance. Okay. You know, it, it's like... Um, You've done something? This blood de- actually delivers you. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. just... Uh, it's not a passive. It, it's not passive. There's okay. an active deliverance in the blood of the lamb. I mean, th- this is um, important for where the symbolism is going to go later in Scripture. Exactly. So... Um, so, so they, get, they are they are not judged, not because of who they are inherently, hmm. but because and here's going back to Abraham because God has provided a lamb. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. This is the this this is where this connects back to Abraham. Yeah. So remember, Isaac was Abraham's firstborn son. He goes to sacrifice Isaac, but Isaac is spared because God has provided a lamb. Now here, the firstborn sons of the Israelites are going to be spared. Why? because of the, the Passover lamb that's sacrificed and they place the blood of that lamb over the lintels. Yeah. So this becomes a key to the identity of God's people. Yeah. You know, we're not, inherently, uh, we're not inherently better than anyone else, but we are, um, we are blessed because of the God, because God has provided a lamb. Now this is going to be a key um, part of the symbolism that's going to then move into the tabernacle and the sacrifices of the tabernacle. Um, so the idea of of this blood sacrifice yep. taking away the curse, causing deliverance rather than judgment, this becomes the key symbol that actually um, prefigures Christ. Yeah. Because Christ is the lamb. John sees Christ coming, says, behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Yeah. You know, he's, John is referring to the lambs that, that, that were sacrificed in the temple, but he's also referring to the Passover oh. lamb. Um, and, then, and then it's also yeah. important to remember that this is by design, by God, who's outside of time, this is mm. by design by the triune God, the background of when Jesus will give the photo. Like, you know, it's not just an accident or a happy accident or anything like this. This is by design. And that is why we get in chapters 11 and 12 that we'll finish up today's episode Mm. on, we get God explaining what is going to happen and then we get, and we'll see a lot more as we go through the books of Moses, this is the first time we get these really detailed instructions about the Passover meal, about a celebration, what the Jewish people have to do, how it's to be remembered, really, really specific instructions, recipes even, of what they have to do and... And when we don't go through go through all of that, you know, it is that you know that that blemished, unblemished male yep. goat or sheep they need to take and and yep. and have with them and then kill. And it's a it's an amazing picture. And finally, it all happens. Yep. You know, Moses and Aaron say, "This is what's going to happen on this night. This is what will happen." And across all of Egypt, there is a loud wailing as God says, "I myself." And again, this is one of these angel of the Lord stories here. Yep. God says, "I will visit." you know, the people of Egypt and come down and kill every firstborn mm. and he, he he does it. Yeah. He does it. So, you know, we, we leave Egypt in a very, you know, we finish here on and at least this episode we're going to keep working through yeah. but with this very polarised situation yep. and uh, the people are going to remember this forever. They're going to remember all of the plagues and God's deliverance through the sac- through this Passover meal and that is going to say to them that they were saved because God provided a lamb. I just, you can't emphasize that more. That salvation is in the blood of this sacrifice lamb. And, um, you know, uh, 
I mean, Psalm 49 says, no man can redeem the life of another. Yeah. Uh, now, if no man can, surely no animal can. Yeah. You've got this open thing. It's like God is providing a lamb, but clearly it's not just these animals. They are symbolic of the lamb that God provides in Christ. So God himself comes to us in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the lamb of God. It's just the connection here. Oh, of the greatest event of deliverance that defines the people of God in the Old Testament yes. connects right through to the act of deliverance by which all people are saved. Well said, Matt. Well said. This story, the story of the Passover the story of how God delivers his chosen people out of Egypt and eventually into the promised land. This story is so foundational, is so fundamental. It is so important in the way that we understand the gospel. Let everybody know about the show. It helps us a lot. Now, head over to thrivetoday.tv for more information. And like I told you before, make sure you go check out our good friend Anna Waters at annawaters.com.au. Her brand new song, her brand new video clip. (laughs) They're awesome. You've got to go check it out. All right, until next time, we'll see you next week on Thrive Perspectives. Make Make sure you head over there and subscribe to that. But in two weeks' time, we'll see you back here for Thrive Deeper. On behalf of DJ Matt Stewart and the whole team behind the scenes, thank you so much for your support. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading in the Bible as you go through it with Thrive. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all of our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now. Visit ratethispodcast.com slash thrivedeeper. If you appreciate what we do and want to help us reach more people, go to ratethispodcast.com slash thrivedeeper. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper into God's Word and thrive. This was another DJP.FM production.